G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 20 of the Outback Mine podcast. I have a gentleman which many of you may know, particularly if you were born last century, a gentleman by the name of Richard Osborne. Now, Richard Osborne was a uh, very, very charismatic figure in AFL circles, played uh, over 250 games, primarily for Fitzroy. Most uh, people would remember Richard from Fitzroy, but also played for Sydney, uh, Footscray Bulldogs and Collingwood. And um, Richard is uh, in his 50s now and absolutely thriving. And we're going to talk about what he does to look after his physical and mental health. But primarily, I wanted to try and get Richard on to talk about the work that he's doing in the mental health space at the moment. Uh, he's doing some great things and I think there'd be lots of um, tips and tricks uh, from his own life but also with what he's doing now to be able to pass on to people out there in, uh, in regional Australia uh, to be able to you know, manage our lives uh, more effectively as we age, uh, which is certainly doing that very, very well, but also the work that he's doing with other individuals to be able to help empower them and help them uh, be able to manage mental health uh, challenges a little bit better, but also to be able to become uh, you know, more self-aware as they age and, and get older. So I um, hope you enjoy our conversation. Richard's a tremendous gentleman, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of our chat. So sit tight and uh, hope you enjoy uh, uh, what Richard has to say and his wisdom. Richard Osborne, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Hey Aaron, uh, pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, appreciate you being here, mate. Uh, I would never have thought back in uh, the eighties and nineties when I saw you running around with a uh, with a, a Fitzroy football jumper on and uh, stirring people up that I'd ever be having a conversation with you. But I'm really grateful for you uh, touching base and making time to uh, be able to uh, have a conversation about men's mental health and all the things you've been doing uh, throughout your journey, mate. So uh, welcome aboard. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, if we can help any, just one person out there in regards to their, their mental well-being, uh, we've won, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely agree. So, mate, um, look, I'm sure a lot of people um, out there would like to hear about your journey you know, growing up as a young fella in Melbourne and sort of where that sort of took you into footy and beyond. So, mate, uh, if you'd be able to run us through a bit of that sort of stuff just to get going here, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I... Uh Grew up a local, local Melbourne boy, um, played all my junior football at a club called Bulling Tempestone yeah. out, out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne with uh, two older brothers that also played, played at the same club. Uh, yeah. I was l- lucky enough to be invited down in, in those days. There, there wasn't a draft, so you got invited down to to, um, to play in an under-17 scholarship game. So we, we all wandered down to Colac and played a, played a game against the... Uh, Country Vic team, and um, from that game they invited you to come back and train with the Fitzroy Under 19s. Mm. Uh, played a season there, and the the, uh, the process there was that the senior senior coach would invite some of the Under 19 players to do pre-season, which we did. And then uh, 17 years later, I retired. So yeah, four, four clubs in 17 years later. I had a fairly long journey in, in the VFL slash AFL, which I absolutely loved. So how old were you when you started, when you played your first senior game? I was about a week or so after my 18th birthday. So I was playing reserves at 17 and then had a, had a crack at my first senior game at 18. Uh, mm-hmm. Came on at half-time against 
the bombers at Windy Hill we were ten goals down and we lost by fifteen. So that was that was my introduction to senior footy and that one and only game for the year. It was pretty rare for a young fellow to get a game back then. I remember where I'm from up at Horsham, we had Tim Watson uh, come out of that area. We were in that Essendon zone and Tim played his first senior game for Essendon at 15. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Gary Pert was pretty young too. He might have been 16 when he played his first senior game, but um, yeah, obviously it doesn't happen anymore these days. Absolutely not. I remember um, I used to be involved with a club called Homers in Horsham and you know, it was very rare for a young fellow under the age of 18 to get a game in seniors back then, you know. So you had to sort of really earn it. And um, to be able to get a game uh, at a, you know, a VFL club back then at 18 was obviously pretty impressive, mate. So you, you did some good things. Who was your first coach there? Uh, first senior coach was Robert Walls. Oh, OK. Uh, he would have been tough. He was tough, but like... like um like most coaches of that, of that era, if you if you did the right thing by the coach, uh, you were fine. If you didn't, um, God help you. So yeah, he was he was hard, but he was fair as long as you did the right thing. Yeah, I can imagine just just by seeing him and his character, I'd imagine be very much like that. So, mate, so uh, you you had a, a tremendous career at Fitzroy. I guess you know from my observation, playing at a club like that, a bit like St Kilda and the Bulldogs back then. There was lots of effort going, but not many results. So you would never have probably played in a premiership, obviously, in that time. But also, did you play many finals and that type of thing? And what kept your motivation up? Yeah, never, never played in a, a premiership. Played the closest we got was, was a preliminary final in 1983. Um, so played finals in 83, 84, uh, 1980. Sorry, 1986 was the year we played in the prelim. We also got fairly close in 83, but 1986 was the closest we got. Mm. And then played played some finals when I was at the Bulldogs. So, mm. yeah, not at the motivation. I, I think it's just the, the, the mateship of, you know, just playing with your mates. You know, with, whether you're, you know, on a, you know, a million dollars playing football these days, as they would be, or mm. uh, getting $1,000 a game or 50 bucks a game or doing it for the love of it, it to me, it's, it'd be no different. You're just out there with a whole heap of mates, having fun and um, trying, all trying to do the same thing, which is win football matches. Yeah, make some achievements and, and learning teamwork and the chemistry and all that, um, you know, as a young fella coming through, uh, you know, obviously uh, is a tremendous thing for, for mental health and so forth too. But uh, we'll talk more a bit later about that and sort of, you know, what happens off the field. But um, uh, mate, you you were uh, you're a very um, hard working, you know, dedicated player. You obviously put a lot into your fitness and so forth back then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was the youngest of three boys, so I suppose I was always brought up the hard way, getting belted by my older brothers. <laughs> but um, you know, I was lucky enough to have some pretty decent mentors in Gary Wilson and Mickey Conlon and these sort of guys. But yeah. you know, just train train the roof down day in. Uh, day out, so I'd sort of follow, tried to follow in their footsteps, and they were really good role models and mentors for me. A friend of mine is good friends with Gary Wilson, and he still trains very hard now, looks after his fitness very well. And um, I know he's probably in his 70s now, but he's still, you know, very, very dedicated. And mate, you're in your 50s now, and obviously you're looking after yourself uh, fairly significantly as well. Has that been something you've been able to uh, maintain fairly, fairly well throughout your life? Um, I don't really obviously train as hard as I used to anymore. I don't really do a lot in, in that aspect. I, I just really try and um, 
live by the philosophy of you, you are what you eat. So I, I try and maintain a fairly healthy diet and minimal alcohol intake, and I, I think um, that's half the battle. Yeah, yeah. I'd like you to like we'll we'll, we'll actually um, we'll just sort of jump into this now. But we'll go back under footy in a moment. So. What is, you know, say, I know you're in really good shape at the moment, but a lot of the guys listening would like to you know, get an idea about what your, your food intake's like and, and how you're sort of, you know, keeping yourself well uh, from a nutritional point of view. Yeah, I think um, everything in moderation, I guess. So I really try, try to be mindful of what I eat in regard to minimal, if, if any, junk food. Mm. Um, I think that alcohol's got a surprisingly amount of calories in it as well. So, again, look, I'm not fanatical. I'll, I'll go out and have a beer with the boys as much as anyone else. But, um, yeah, I just try and do things in moderation. I think that's the key. Yeah, yeah. And you, you still, you're not really strict on a diet. Like, you still eat uh, meats and so forth. You're not, you have that sort of follow anything in particular? No, no, absolutely not. I love a good steak. And, uh, you know, I don't really, I've never dieted diet diet it as such ever yeah. so i'm just mindful just mindful of what i eat and try and try and uh, follow up a fairly balanced and yeah. uh, healthy diet yeah maintain the balance that's that's good mate and that that's really key to be able to to keep functioning well and, and move the body and obviously keep uh, keep things working um you know optimally within yourself so with regards to footy mate we'll just get back onto that uh, for a moment but you obviously played, you know, 17 seasons. So going from Fitzroy, I suppose that was at the end of um, when they were coming to an end of their uh, tenure or did you actually leave early um, before they actually folded? Yeah, I, I left at the end of 92. So it, I think there was a, another, probably another four seasons that they had until they they, got, they merged with the Brisbane Bears. So yeah, yeah. Towards the end, but not at the end. How did you go when you went to Sydney? Um, how, how did that affect you as an individual? Because you'd been in Melbourne all your life to be able to go to a, a bigger city and, um, um, you know, sort of fall into that structure up there. Well, it was a difficult move. I'd, I'd been at Fitzroy for 11 years and my, my, my obvious choice was to go, it's a long story, but to go, go to Essendon. Mm. Um, then finding yourself at the bottom club in a, in a different state and not, not wanting to go there is... It was a tough year. You know, I, I tried to make the most of it and you know, got um, coached by Ron Brassi along the way. So that, for me, that was a huge plus. But you know, I, got, I, uh, I was involved in a fairly heavy concussion get, getting taken off in an ambulance. So mm. you know, those sort of things you know, can impact your life as well. So yeah, well, it was a challenging, a challenging season for all, I guess. Mm. And, and you're only there for a year, so you really... Wanted to get out of Sydney at that end of uh, end of that season, or was it was it by choice, or was it just sort of another opportunity opened up? I actually, um, r- rightly or wrongly, I actually told the Swans um, if if they signed me, I'm only there for tw- uh, for one season, no matter what, I'm leaving. So mm. they, they knew straight up that I wasn't going to stay there any longer than that one season because I didn't want to go there in the first place. Mm. Funny how they just took a punt in you like that, knowing that you could only have a, a short tenure and uh, and move on. So uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I still remember talking to the football manager, who's obviously a football football man. He said, "Look, the the, the owners of the Swans at the time, which were Mike Willisy and and Craig Kimberley from Just Jeans, and another gentleman called Peter Wynette, they weren't probably football people as much as the the um, football manager was." He said, "Look, I understand where you're coming from, but they they just want you." 
Mm. So I I really had no choice in those days. It was uh, come up and play for the Swans or stand out of football for a season. So I I certainly wasn't going to do that. So it was like 92 or something? Uh, Yeah, at the end of 92. So 1993 season I played there. Yeah, I guess back then the the marketing side of things was just starting to take off and and they were starting to try and, uh, you know, build a profile in in the... in the city, so uh, obviously getting high-profile players like yourself is, uh, you know, fairly uh, uh, top of um, the requirements there. So you know, it's it's good that you had the courage to be able to say to them then that uh, you know I'm only going to be there for a short period, and then you you obviously knew, which was good for your mental health. That you had an out uh, strategy at the end of the day. Yeah, and look, who would have thought in '93 the Swans win one game and three years later they're in the grand final, which yeah. is an incredible turnaround. Absolutely. You know, since, since then, they've probably been arguably, if not the most, one of the most consistent teams in the competition. Yeah, agreed. No, that's right. And yeah, it's certainly um, good to see that journey and the consistency. And I think we'll tap more into that um, with regards to uh, our conversation, but also what it is that actually maintains a good individual to, to have a good mental health, um, I suppose, uh, challenge or record to be able to you know maintain that sort of consistency. I think that's been a key part of what's actually happened in Sydney along the journey. So we'll we'll touch on that as we go, mate. But the Bulldogs uh, would have been a you know like going back to Fitzroy in the old days, I guess too, because they were probably struggling as well. Very similar sort of club to to Fitzroy. So I I did fit in there quite well. I um, enjoyed my time there. My, my grandfather actually played at the Bulldogs as well. So um, my mum was. More than happy when I, yeah. as much as she loved Fitzroy, uh, she was more than happy when I went to the Doggies for three seasons and yeah. thoroughly enjoyed my time there. So who was coaching then, mate? Um, when I first got there, Terry Wheeler was the senior coach. Yep. And then he got, re- he got replaced with Alan Joyce. Yeah, so I remember there was a bit of turmoil around that at the time. Yeah, and then, then at the end there, uh, Ter- Terry Wallace took over from Alan Joyce, but I'd actually broken both bones in my forearm and didn't actually play a senior game for the second half of the year so I never played under under um, Terry Wallace at all as mm. when he was a senior coach mm. I'd imagine uh, having both uh, arms uh, uh, immobilised would have been pretty tricky on your mental health as well mate no, it wasn't actually it wasn't both arms both both forearm bones in the one arm Oh, okay, good. So you still still had another another arm to use. I was going to say <laughs> you, you might might have been uh, might have been pretty challenged there. I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. Look, any any injuries that you sustain, whether it be like that knee reconstructions and yeah. broken cheekbones and those sort of things, it's always a challenge. But it's, it's all about keeping positive and knowing at the end of the day you're going to you're not going to be in that that state forever. You're you're always going to rehabilitate and going to be able to play again. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll, we'll talk more about mental health too, and, and and how we can manage that better. But um, just touching on coming out of the Bulldogs into a prestigious club like Collingwood, mate, that would have been uh, a bit of a uh, an eye opener for you as well. Oh, absolutely! Look, I was for a fair bit of my my youth, I was a Collingwood supporter. So to get to get a phone call from Tony Shaw to ask me if I wanted to come and play for the Pies was bit of a dream come true. So, what did you notice you know, with, was a the difference there, like compared to the other clubs? I think the main difference, you know, whether you whether you're winning or losing, you're still running it running out in front of fifty, sixty thousand people every week. Mm. It's just just the just the amount of support that the that the club has, and you now I'm sure Richmond players would be going through it now. You know, just this, 
the amount of supporters that these top clubs have is just incredible. Yeah. Would, would that lift but, you up every time you went out there? Sorry? Would it really lift you up? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I still remember playing in a game of football at Victoria Park when we were sharing it with Collingwood. So I was playing for Fitzroy and it was against the Brisbane Bears and it was, it was about 2,000 people at the ground and one of our players had to jump the fence to retrieve the footy. So oh, <laughs> a yeah. big, big change between that and playing. I was lucky enough to play in two Anzac Day games in front of 90,000 people. Mm. Unbelievable, mate. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing, isn't it? And... Um, uh, you know, over that 17 years, you, you've, you've obviously seen the highs and lows of it all. So, um, absolutely, you know, big, big ups and downs, but that, that, that's life. It's, all, it's just a matter of having the strategies to cope with the, the downs when they're there and stay, stay up. That's right. And now's a good time to sort of touch into that mental health side of things, mate. So, you know, back in those days, this would not have been a conversation that would have been easily had. I would have thought uh, in that uh, in that system, and um, uh, I, I'd be interested to hear how you sort of were personally, but whether you actually observed uh, within some of your teammates some of the challenges that actually went on with some of them. I suppose it wouldn't have even been recognised anxiety and depression and those sorts of things back then. But how did you go yourself as an individual? Did you find highs and lows were part of your? Um, I suppose uh, you make up through that period of time or you sort of kept yourself up uh, pretty well throughout it? Yeah, it's interesting. You're saying, Aaron, about how, how we've completely flipped it on its head now and it's just it's such an open conversation about people's mental health and when they're struggling. Uh, you, know, you, you look at the earlier days of your career and you're playing under coaches that are you know, just patrolling the medical room and telling you, your weak dog, get out and train. You know? mm-hmm. hey, yeah. How are you going to... How are you going to have a conversation with a coach like that about how you're feeling? So it was, it was never really discussed as such. Geez, mm. um, I remember, and again, without trying to go too deep into it, when, when I was up at the Sydney Swans, I, I'd, uh, I'd, be, I'd been living in Bronte, which is um, next door to Bondi, in you know, a beautiful surf beach. I'm a, I'm a surfer and I've got a, I've got a surfboard in my room. I couldn't get off the couch. You know, mm. I'm, all the days I'm in tears crying yeah. and it's... You know, obviously mental health struggles, but because um, yeah. you don't know what's going on with yourself, it's you know it, we spoke a little bit off off air before about um, we're really into our physical side. We understand if you want to get bigger biceps or bigger quads or bigger triceps or whatever, you, you join a gym and you, you get on a diet and you you eat more protein and you lift heavier weights and your and your physical self gets bigger. But mm. um, with the mental health side of it, I think. A lot of people just put it in the too hard basket and they think, well, okay, I've got mental health issues. I need to, I need to go and see a psychiatrist and, and get on medication. And, you know, I've, I've been there before myself, but you know, at the end of the day, I just, I'm, I'm quite an inquisitive type and I thought, no, I don't, I don't really want to leave it in the hands of someone else. Mm. Um, I want to try and learn a little bit more about this, study a little bit more and, and see if I can... You know, take control of my own mental health and not rely on medication. And, you know, I, I, I was like fortunate enough to meet. He was actually a local Melbourne boy called Richard Maloney. He runs a, runs a company called Quality Mind Global, mm. and um, he runs um, mindfulness uh, mental wellness courses online. And I, I did one of those courses with him over a three month period, and it's just amazing. You know, a lot of people don't really understand how powerful their thoughts are, mm. and and you know, if you break it down like that, okay, let's just break it down succinctly. A, a, a thought starts everything, 
let's just let's suggest that thought is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You keep telling yourself that enough, you're going to believe you're not good enough. Mm. But at the end of the day, where's the proof in that? It's just it's just the rhetoric or story you're telling yourself. So you, you keep telling yourself you're no good. All of a sudden, you start feeling bad. You know, let's just say you start getting sensations in the body. Um, then you start that 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 feeling then becomes a bit of a mood. So it gets a little bit more deeply seated in the body. Then you can go into the next level, which would be anxiety. And you know, we've all we've all been down that path. And you know, my my belief with with anxiety is people have the problem if they they're always either living in the past, you know, thinking about what what's gone wrong, or worried about their future, you know, the what ifs. But the problem is, the past is never going to come again. You you can't live in the past. It's just it's just self defeating and. And at the other end of the scale, the um, the future never happens. There's no such thing as the future. So my, my belief is if you can um, learn the strategies and techniques to to live in the moment and the current time, and and you were saying before about your training in mindfulness, Aaron, so you'd understand this. If, if you can learn to live, and it's easier said than done, if you can learn to live in the present, you won't suffer anxiety mm. at all. And then the anxiety that gets worse start with panic attacks and then what people would call depression. So my belief is if you can track that back to where it all starts and to me, it's your thoughts. If you control them, that's half the battle. Yes. But bearing in mind, I do understand that there is a certain percentage of the population that have a chemical imbalance. So, um, again, I'm not a psychologist, but from what I, from the research I've, I've read and looked at and, and haven't spoken to psychologists, if people do have chemical imbalances, yes, they, they may need to get a medication. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting field. But, you know, I, I end up taking it upon myself to to say, okay, this, this is important enough for me to understand a little bit more about why I do what I do. I've always, I've always been fascinated about that. You know, why do we do what we do? And it's and it's all about our thoughts. And the, the problem is, you know, think about this for a minute, Aaron. Not, they say we have about seven or eighty thousand thoughts per day, mm. you know, they, and they just come in at random. And um, if you can, if you can, if you can't control those thoughts, and if that if that thought was like we were saying before, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, or you know, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, or whatever, and they say not ninety ninety percent of those thoughts are reoccurring from the day before, mm. how, how are you going to get any better? You know, it's easy for people to turn around and say, I oh, just think positive, but if, if you're hardwired to believe that you're no good, you know, that, that's your subconscious mind telling you you're no good, mm. it's pretty hard to turn that around with just a couple of positive thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating field and it's something I've really got myself heavily involved in now. Embrace, mate. That, that's tremendous. And I really, really, uh, you, you should be proud of yourself for uh, taking the step to actually be inquisitive and not just sort of follow what you're being told because... It takes some courage to actually stand up and say, well, no, I want to know more about this and, and really to empower yourself to manage yourself a bit better rather than outsourcing it. So um, good on you for that. I guess, you know, as individuals and humans, we don't really understand the need for our minds to settle. And, and this has been known for like thousands of years in Eastern cultures for that time in the morning just to get yourself grounded so your mind can be sort of more settled so you can... Uh, identify when you're going to the past or the future uh, to be able to sort of come back to the present and 
be grateful for actually what's going on around you. And if the more you can do that, then the more the mind will sort of become content. Now, the mind is yep. a great, uh, great servant or it's a terrible master. And uh, it can really control us if we don't actually control it better. So we need to be able to do things and do practices which actually help us, you know, become more self-aware. And I guess that's a big part of this podcast is to try and, you know, quick, quick guys out there with um, tools to be able to do that, to be able to sort of, you know, come back to um, feeling themselves again, but also to be able to realize when the mind's at speed on how to, uh, you know, come back through the gears, I always say. And it's really important because we do find ourselves distracted a lot and there's, you know, escalating problems with, uh, with, with mental health issues for men throughout Australia, but also suicides are really uh, escalated quite a bit. And um, I guess the more people that we can sort of help become more self-aware, then the less chances of those episodes happening will, um, will be more and more uh, less relevant, I guess, in the future, Richard. And oh, you, you might have lost uh, mates of yours to suicide over the years. Is that something that's, uh, that's impacted your life? Uh, not for a long, long time. I, I, I grew up with one of my mates I played basketball, top basketball and, and football with, and he he um, he was probably going to be a fairly decent AFL footballer, but um, he he was found hung on a building site when he was probably 16, 17 years of age from memory, so um, that's probably the closest person, closest mate to me that's, um, mm. that, that has suffered... Um, that badly that they've taken their own life, but you know you, you, you just hear it too often. And uh, you know, again, I'm I'm certainly no expert in in um, in suicide in that area, but it's just it's just tragic. Yeah, it is, and and because we 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 really lack that self awareness, um, when we get to the bottom of the pendulum, we don't sort of see any other way out. But you sort of touched on before, you know, with an injury, how that injury will heal you know you, you know you know that healing will happen and you get lots of work in the sporting arena to be able to you know, help you recover and your rehab and all that sort of stuff but when you've got a mental injury uh paul and uh, paul Ruse and i spoke about it you know when you get a blow to the heart that's just as powerful as a blow to the face so you know if someone oh, something, something said to you or, or whatever you take that on board and that can really replay in your mind and that can take you to a low place yeah, and the, the challenging thing with with the, I, like, I suppose I like to call it uh, mental wellness rather than mental health because when when you when you think mental health, you probably think more psychologists and, and uh, psychiatrists. And again, I, I, I need to um, need to make that clear that I'm certainly not a trained psychologist. So I, I like to see myself as being more a mental wellness coach. Mm. Um, you know, it, with, with the physical side of it, you can actually you can actually see see where it's gone wrong. You know, you, you, I, I broke my forearm bones um, in a game of footy and I saw it was all bent. So I could see that there was something wrong. Mm. You, you get the rehab, you can actually see it getting better over a period of time. But with with the mental mental wellness side of it, um, because people don't, under, don't understand that, and as we were saying earlier, um, a, a lot of your beliefs, are really drilled into you and hardwiring into your behaviours from from birth to about the age of seven. So, yeah. you know, if 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 you're hardwired to believe a certain thing, it's it's going to take more than just you know a, you know going to a, a self help seminar or, or or reading a book. You know, we've all done that. We've all all gone to these self help seminars or read books. But the problem is, unless you can actually 
pick up the tools and, and ability to be able to manipulate your thoughts, I guess you, you could say, you know, change that negative thought process, you're not going to get there. You know, you, you, you're fighting against 95% of, of your subconscious is, you know, hard, hardwired. So but unless you can... Now, the way I see it is the only, the only two real ways you can change your, your state of mind is through hypnosis, which, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of us don't have the time and inclination to, to go and get hypnotherapy, but that, that's, that's certainly one that works. And also just just massive repetition and reprogramming of your thoughts. And that's with this course that I did, that's what I, I found was the, the key issue there. And a lot of, I don't think a lot of people really understand how, how negative they are you know, because it's just their it's become their default system and they're just they're just negative by nature and they just think well that's just the way i am mm-hmm. and i think as you were saying earlier and it's so important that the minute you you get your feet out of bed and put them on the deck you've you got to start in a positive way because if you don't that that subconscious is going to take over again and if, if you've been negative for 10 years guess what unless you change your thoughts you're just going to regurgitate the past, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And being aware to be able to do something positive. So we've touched on this on the podcast a few times, but the average default is to turn the radio on, to turn the telly on, to open the newspaper, and you really pretty much automatically put into fear then, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But what I do is as soon as I, I put my feet uh, on, on the floor after I wake up, I do a breathing exercise for a few minutes. So that, that really just gets things working and it just clears all the clutter out of the head. Uh, and uh, and that, that's something that's been a real foundational tool for me um, over the years to be able to do that. Because uh, you know, I believe as men, we wake up with anxiety. You know, we, we actually wake up with, uh, with the thoughts of what we're gonna do, our mind's sort of working straight away. Uh, or we, we start to worry about you know, not being good enough and all the self-doubt and that, as you mentioned. But, if you can develop a daily practice which keeps you grounded and be able to you know, maintain that sense of gratitude for actually being here, then that will become your default. You know, it'll actually become your yeah. default. And all the things, we, we seem to worry ourselves into trouble. You know, like if you're a farmer, you worry yourself about the crops, the yield, this, that and the other. But if you can just really let go of that attachment sometimes, usually things will take care of themselves and we sort of dig ourselves into a hole by the thoughts that we have. But... Once we can sort of get out of that and get into a routine, uh, then usually uh, the right things appear and the right things will occur. Um, you know, if we if we are more aware of the way that we're actually feeling on a day to day basis, and if we are sort of you know feeling a little bit low, we can sort of maybe talk to a mate or whatever about that. But um, if we're sort of beating ourselves up consistently, then usually the flow on effect is something negative from that. Yeah, absolutely. And as I've said before. I- a lot of the times we don't, we don't, we don't realise that that's happened to us because it's, it's become the norm, yeah. you know, whether it's us. I think it's a, it's a good um, reflective exercise sometimes when you're sitting at home and you've got some quiet time. Just just ask yourself, you know, am I constantly in the past, thinking in the past, where it's all about, you know, guilt and blame and all those sort of negative um, behaviours and um, feelings, or am I constantly... You know, in the future, you know, what is? You know, am I worried about my, my mortgage? How am I going to pay off my mortgage? How am I going to do this? And as I said earlier, the past is gone and the future never comes. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got to, you've got to, I think, you know, mindfulness, when I, when I 
first heard about mindfulness, I didn't quite understand what it was, but to me, that's what mindfulness is. It's just living in the moment because mm. that's ultimately, ultimately, that's all you can control. And being, you, think, you think you can control your future or you think you can control your past, but it's, it never comes and it's never going to come again. One, one thing that was a big lesson for me, Richard, was to try and become more, um, I suppose, uh, content with what I had. So not really trying to, you know, be fearful as, as much because when you get into the realm of maybe buying things that you really can't afford or, you know, you're, you're overcapitalizing on, on things physically and mentally, um, uh, trying to achieve too much, uh, I guess once you lose that, that, that is primarily anxiety in its essence. But if you can come back to being, um, I suppose, content with what you have and live with, living within your means, uh, not sort of, you know, forcing too much to chase, then all of a sudden your mental health actually improves quite a bit because you know if something goes wrong, you're able to be stable. But as soon as you get thrown out of rhythm by you know, a circumstance outside your uh, realm, then all of a sudden that can take you into an anxious state or a depressed state really quickly. So to be able to sort of live within your means, to be content with, uh, with what's going on around you, uh, I think is really, really key. But we sort of get taken out of that. We actually like get directed to be wanting to buy you know, the, the latest and greatest or have the best of this or the best of that. And I'm really fearful for young guys coming through now because that's really their default to want to have the best, the best mobile, the best car, you know, the, the, the most expensive house. And really house prices are getting out of people's reach. So that's putting them in that sort of, um, in that uh, difficult, um, you know, circumstance straight away. But to be able to sort of come back to where you can be more aware uh, of what your, you know, your, your, your level of balance actually is, that'll actually help your mental health moving forward. I really believe that. Oh, absolutely, and I, I, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd say with some fair, fair conviction that the, the largest stress in people's life is financial stress. So you know, we, we always want to get a bigger house and you know, go and get a million dollar mortgage and buy this house, but at what cost? Yeah, that's right. And is, really, is, is it worth it to your mental health? And, and mate, I guess you know you you're, you may be a bit different than me, but a lot of guys from country areas like. You want to try and impress other people by having this and having that, and, and I was no different, mate. I've 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 had the the big houses and all that sort of stuff, and and really when I look back at it, I think why you know I'm actually just trying to 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 prove you know, and I just once I lost that attachment, it actually really helped my mental well being. But um, you know, with yourself, mate, with what you're doing, like you're doing some coaching worth work with Quality Mind Global, which is great, which is your passion. But you're also working in the oil and gas industry. I was really uh, unaware of that. So you're actually doing a, a paid full-time job as, as well, mate, which is tremendous. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I've, uh, by, by, um, by, by mistake, I guess, or almost by luck, years ago, I, I found myself working on the um, Australia's first ever 42-inch gas pipeline that was built between the middle of, uh, middle of Queensland and out to Curtis Island, so yeah. I found myself in the FIFO industry 10 years ago and I'm still still doing the same thing, so mm. yeah, we're working in construction and you know, I suppose that's probably one of the, the, the last frontiers for mental health, you know, we, it's, um, you know, the way I see it, it's, it's really just, again, I can't comment on, on every single construction company because I've only worked for probably half a dozen of them, but 
they they just look at it as a, it's a token thing. And we have we have this are you okay day. Mm. Um, we have a barbecue and have a bit of a laugh, and that's it. So that's that's why I say don't don't rely on others to to guide you and help you with your mental health. Go go out there and and find a better way because you know I, I, I can guarantee you, and I've, I've learned this the hard way. Unless you're totally happy with where you're at, unless you do something different, nothing's going to change. So try something. You know, do something. You can't you can't rely on others to 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 guide you um, in in that re- in that regard. So agree, and, you know, and you know, the, it's those, just important. Oh, mate, those interventions are great. Like having these uh, these awareness days, but I'm really passionate, and I know you are too, about workplace wellbeing and really seeing employers step up to be able to understand that their employees are really their most important asset. And if they're functioning physically and mentally well inside and outside of work, then their lives are you know, balanced and they're happy and their performance is great within inside the workplace. Um, and you know, there's just really not enough focus and investment on that. You know, A lot of employers will outsource it to you know, get an app or, or whatever, but I really want to try and do what I can to work with more employees to actually help them understand by doing these things, you know, can help them tremendously uh, as individuals. And I believe an employer has got a commitment to try and help that individual rather than just use them for a tool to get a job done to make money at the end of the day, you know, where, where we've got people's lives in our hands. We put a lot of hands, we, we put a lot of focus on health and safety to make sure people don't get hurt. Let's just make sure that we can actually do things that they can, you know, take, take their well-being to another level by giving back to them to be able to say, well, yeah, you know, we value as an individual, not just your physical body, you know, and this is where doing things that actually help an individual inside the, uh, the workplace can have a tremendous, a tremendous effect to not only that individual but their families and everyone else around them. Absolutely. And, and again, look, at the end of the day, if, if the company want to just you know, monetize it and think, well, it's all about uh, profit and loss, if, if they look at all the lost time that they'd have through, um, you know, people taking sickies probably more so than not through the way they're feeling mentally rather than physically, mm. against uh, investing in, in whether it be a course or some sort of study module for for, for their, their workers, it's going to be you know, money well spent for them, even if they, at the end of the day, if they may or may not care about them their workers' mental health, it's going, to, it's going to help the bottom line of the business as well, yeah. at least. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yep, it, it certainly does. It really does. But, but having, said, having said that, you, you would hope that they, they, uh, they've got enough compassion to, to um, invest in, in their workers' mental health as well because it's, it's just so important. Yeah, agree, mate. And um, certainly, uh, we're, we're only at the, um, at the beginning of this journey, I, I believe. We've got to, got to use this decade as a, as a real uh, platform for uh, giving employers the tools to be able to look after their people. And, and we've had conversations with, with other guys on this podcast about what happened to Richmond and seeing the results of that, you know, within a football space. So using, sure. using that as a template to be able to take that into the workplace... Uh, to be able to take it into a you know an amateur sporting club, whatever it may be, taking that like extra step to be able to like really be aware of your people and, and help them uh, on and off the field, uh, inside and outside of the workplace, whatever it may be, 
you know, geez, the results are, you know, um, yeah, they're, 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 there's no cost or no price or value on that at the end of the day, you know, it's just humane, it's humanity, and everyone wants that sense of uh, belonging, I guess, you know, a lot of employees in the workplace don't feel safe because they're vulnerable, they actually have fear that they may lose their job and what the consequences of that may be, and so when times are good, it's great, you can go and buy the toys, particularly guys in your industry, they will be trying to maintain happiness by getting a new jet ski or a new motorbike or whatever, and that's great for the economy. But you know that can go south pretty quickly as well if uh, things are, are out of their control. And the, the industries that you you work in, construction, oil and gas, and so forth, are very volatile. So you know it's it's really important to be able to help guys um, understand that the financial vul- vulnerability is there, uh, but also to be able to understand that the vulnerability to their mental well being can be compromised unless they do things to keep themselves balanced. Absolutely, and it's funny, I, I suppose I, I went from one extreme to the other, work, working as a professional footballer where where your destiny is in your own hands. You know, you, you just got to keep playing good football and you got a job for, for your, your athletic life. And then, then all of a sudden, I mean, like, like you were saying, Aaron, I'm working in the oil and gas industry in Fife. I've, I've never worked in such an insecure environment where, where guys are just shit scared about losing their job it's just terrible yeah, yeah i know absolutely and that that's entrapment and and really the ancient traditions talk about attachment as being the, the cause of suffering and that's really mm-hmm. what it is mate if you're attached to something and that 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 can um that, that can that can really be swept uh out from under your feet then all of a sudden your whole uh, your whole uh uh, perspective of life can actually change so it's actually being able to lose that attachment so you can become more grounded uh, and aware which gets back to the conversation we we're having earlier on about uh, not overcapitalizing your life uh, because you know if you do lose that be able to live within your means uh, you know not trying to be the best AFL footballer out there but being one that was consistent uh, that's no different than being you know a human and being consistent with um with, with your financial well-being, with your physical well-being, with your mental well-being, I suppose, and be able to live with that, in that capacity, I guess, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, not too many days go by in the fibre industry where you hear about another poor soul that's committed suicide. So, you know, mm. but you, you, do, you do get paid well, but uh, there's a lot of stresses. You're away from your family and your, your kids and wife and whatever. And, you know, it's, it's um, life it's just so fragile and so precious. It is, mate. And I don't believe we're put on this earth just to uh, get a job, pay taxes and die. At the end of the day, we've got so much more to contribute. You know, yep. uh, as a sports person, you've contributed greatly to the game, but also what you're doing now, you're contributing well to humanity. And that's that's so much more more valuable, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I um, probably many years I wanted to, to like, like, like most um, athletes that go through, through the, the, uh, the trauma of mental health. So they want, they want to get out there and, and talk about it so they can help others. And you now I, I was sort of always had that in the back of my mind, but I thought I, I just didn't want to be another story. You know, yeah. I just say, look, yeah, I've suffered mental health. Here I am. My name's Richard Osborne. Yeah. Um, see you later. Yeah. It's only now when I've, I've actually got, now got the tools to be able to um, impart my knowledge onto other people to, to physically help them in their, in, in their mental wellness. So, mm. you know, it's not just, oh, yeah, I've, I've suffered on, on, on another ex-football that suffered mental health. Mm. Yeah, I have, but how about we try this? You know, this, this has worked well for me. Give this a go. Yeah. So, you know, that, 
that, that it just just adds another string to my bow rather than just say, yeah, I've suffered. Um, end of story. Did you find it hard to come out and talk about this? Because I know I did. Uh, to be able to sort of say, well, yeah, look, I, I did struggle and I still do, you know, as you probably do as well. But um, did you find it hard? Because we come from the old school, mate, where it was really difficult to talk about this stuff. And I was like into my 40s before I felt vulnerable enough to say, well, yeah, look, this is what happened to me and this is why I, I sort of wrote a book about it. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I just think uh, if I had have had that, uh, you know, self-awareness when I was a young guy, my life would have been totally different. And I guess you know, that's a real foundational part of this podcast is to let young guys know that, look, it's okay to talk about this. We're, we're, we're two guys, uh, you're in your 50s, I'm nearly there, but um, we're two guys that are sort of getting to this stage now. Well, let's let's give people the, the ability to be able to talk about it earlier on and that can really help uh, help change their lives, mate. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, so I, I guess... If I had the beauty of hindsight, I would have I would have unloaded and, and um, spoken about this many many years ago. Because yeah, yeah was was it hard to talk about it? Bloody oath it was because I'm old school, you know. Mm. Don't be weak. Get over, you know, suck it, suck it up. Get over yourself. Yeah, sort of mentality. Yeah. But <laughs> let me tell you, it, the the first if you want to call it rehab, the best day of my rehab was the day that I physically went on went on to a, it was like a um is it. Richard's actually started with Barry Hall and Sean Higgins, a, a Facebook page called Blokes United. Yep. And, and um, I actually got on, on one of their podcasts and, and spoke about my journey. And let me tell you, oh, <laughs> the night before, I was, I was, getting, I was like, a, like a kid at school getting really nervous about a big exam. I really didn't want to talk about it. But, mm. but, but just the relief and, you know, you sort of, you feel like there's something wrong with you and because you haven't told anyone about it, mm. You're not healing. It's just, it's just eating away. And the, the day that I actually said, "Yeah, I've had my own issues as well," it was such a weight off my shoulder. So, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, do yourself a favour, talk about it because if you if you don't, it just eats away you like cancer. Mm. And with with the right strategies, you, you can beat it. Yeah, mate. Uh, I, 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 it just is exactly the way I felt for, for a long time. You know, I wasn't a sportsman, mm. but I just had stuff locked inside that I just felt so embarrassed to talk about, you know. It wasn't like I was going to come out and say that I was gay or anything detrimental, but I, I yeah. come from such a judgmental environment that I was so fearful to talk about stuff, you know. And, yeah, well, and, I think it's our, it's our ages, though, wouldn't it? It's just the, just the society we grew up in. It just yeah. wasn't wasn't accepted to talk about about that. Yeah. And you know, fortunately, they've they've turned that around, and it's become an accept, acceptable conversation to have. Thank yeah. God. Mate, and see, at fifty six, are you fifty six now, or a bit younger? Um. <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'll be fifty seven in June. Right there, you go. Um, well, mate. You've, you've got the tr- a tremendous ability now to be able to help a lot of people, and I really want to encourage you to do more of this. Now, talking to Gareth Andrew, I had on the podcast, he was 55 when he like, really hit the wall with depression. But his, uh, yep. his life was like you know, blissful up until then, and then he just fucking crashed. So, yep. um, so mate, I think you and I have got a duty to be able to sort of talk more about this because that can really help um, you know, guys not get to that stage where Gareth got to. Um, you know, or, or worse, or you know, a lot of the the, the people that are sort of experienced like you know tremendous uh, problems out there, just to be able to sort of have the courage to uh, to sort of you know make small steps to be able to improve uh, the hole or get out of the hole that they're in, uh, because you can stay there for quite a while, and um, you know, 
you you manage your mental health pretty well now because you do keep fit. What are you doing uh, on a daily basis as a routine? In, in, you mean in a, in a fitness sense? Yeah, both. Um, I, I do a lot of walking now. I, I started running again um, briefly, but just lower, lower back started getting a bit sore. So I thought, no, I don't really need to go down that path again. So I, I walk a fair bit. Mm. And believe it or not, with this, um, this, this course I did, they actually, uh, Quality Mind have, a, have an app as well. So within that app, they've got all these uh, meditations. So you know, who, who would have thought a 56-year-old knucklehead footballer would be into <laughs> meditation? So yeah. um, I, 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 you know, it's the first thing I do in the morning, wake up and put on a meditation. And it's just a really good um, positive way to, if you want to call it, real, realign yourself for the, for the start of the day. Because, you know, work, work can be stressful. Things, things can come up. But if you're... It, it's funny, a, a really good mate of mine years ago said to me, and he, he's worked in, in this space for many, many years, a very well-educated man, he said, look, I, I like to use the metaphor, when, when we, um, we go to Harvey Norman, we buy a computer, we, they, they throw onto it the, the latest uh, Norton antivirus mm. protector, so none of the junk gets in. He said, but with, with our mind, we don't have a virus protector. He said, mm. so it's up to us to design our own virus protectors and not let junk get in. Mm-hmm. But I, I just thought it was such a such a basic metaphor, but such a smart way to look at it. Because, you know, we are in control of our thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let the shit get in. You know, we, I think you're saying before, we, we, we owe it to ourselves not to just grow old, get a job, earn money, pay mortgage off and die. Mm-hmm. You, know, you owe it to yourself to go out there and at least try and do something about your mental health, whatever that may be. At least go and walk at it. Don't, don't, don't just roll over and cop it. You know, don't, don't just think, well, you know, this is my lot in life. I feel shit every day. Mm. You know, we've all been there you know, months and months and months on end. Mm. It's, it's just not a good way to live. And there, there's, there's strategies out there, whatever they may be. Go, go and search them because I can guarantee if you do nothing, nothing will change. That's right, and, and that's 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 the thing, mate. Uh, um, you know, doing the same thing on a daily basis and expecting a different result. Well, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't uh, doesn't happen. The coffee will uh, fix it for a little while. You know, the beer will fix it for a little while. But you got to be able to sort of you know raise the vibration uh, within yourself. Mm-hmm. And by doing what you're doing to allowing your mind to settle in the morning is foundational. So absolutely. In, in ancient traditions between 3 and 6 a.m., that is when the mind's most still. So if you can utilize that time to breathe properly, just feel the heart rate lower, all that type of thing, then your anxiety will start to decrease and fade. And that will, that yep. will sort of be the foundation to take into your day. So anything that's out there that agitates you, that knocks you out of balance, you'll be more aware of and you won't react to it. You'll be more proactive and sort of see for what it is and just let it move on and um, the more we can do that, then we, the more we can sort of take control of ourselves and, and control of our thoughts and emotions and feelings and our mental well-being. And, you know, if we're outsourcing that, then we're sort of not uh, allowing ourselves to empower ourselves. You know, we, we've got the ability to be able to empower ourselves every morning by doing the simple things like you're doing there, the mindfulness, the walking, all those types of things. We actually get you back to your calm, natural state. And that's really our, our birthright, mate. That's the way we're meant to be as humans. We're meant to be calm and relaxed and uh and only reactive occasionally but when we're reactive all the time the heart rate's up the the body's tense the mind's tense and that's when things uh you know 
find bits that are uh, imbalanced and that's what creates disease as well at the end of the day which you and I sort of touched on before we started the podcast as well mate yeah yep absolutely that's funny I'm I'm actually running a, a 10 week online course about all this all this stuff we've spoken about um, in the next few weeks and a mate of mine contacted me and he said oh, I don't really know too much about this you know this positive mind stuff but does it work for everyone mm. <laughs> and I, I said mate the way I see it is if you put the time and effort in, it'll make a difference. It will work. So, but at the end of the day, it's like anything. If you don't believe in it and you think it's a load of shit, don't waste your time and your money. It's not going to work. Mm. So you, you've got to be invested in this sort of stuff. You know, years ago, I remember um, the, the year I went to the Swans, we, we went and did a yoga class and not, we just laughed our way through it. We, <laughs> we just thought it was a load of rubbish. Yeah. Um, mindfulness. Um, Meditation, all these things that were that were sort of um, offered to us back in the nineties, we just laughed at it. But mm. you know, to, to me, that that's not a smart way of looking at things. That's really a dumb way to look at it. You know, mm. that, you know, try try something. You know, go go and try a bit of meditation. Try try a bit of yoga. Try a bit of mindfulness. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But no, nothing ventured, nothing gained. It's, it's certainly not going to harm you. That's for sure. That's right. And being able to be open, and a lot of uh, guys. In country Australia, we're sort of stuck in that uh, thinking within our communities and not sort of you know being able to uh, venture out of that. But yeah, it's, now we've got so many uh, options and opportunities to be able to venture outside our, our own space through connectivity, through the internet and so forth, to be able to channel into uh, online learning. And really, that's what the mind wants, mate. It wants to be content. Otherwise, it'll wander all over the place. So if, you, if you've got uh, a focus... It can really help you, your mental health primarily. So doing a 10-week course is a tremendous thing to be able to give you that uh, that pathway and that commitment to be able to front up every week to actually follow something which you're going to get some benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the good thing it is, because it, it's done in groups, but the the guys and girls that are doing this, do, do the course, actually start learning off each other. So it just, it just grows and grows. It's been fantastic. Mate, um, how can people get in touch with you about that and, and, and anything else uh, you know, that they'd like to uh, um, you know, speak to you about, uh, whether it's uh, helping them uh, within the workplace or, or whatever? What's the best way to touch base? Um, probably my, uh, my personal email address, I guess, which is uh, Richard Osborne, so R-I-C-H-A-R-D-O-S-B-O-R-N-E, 44, so richardosborne44 at gmail.com. Yeah, I've got that. Beautiful. Happy, happy, happy to answer any any queries people might have because I'm sure there's a, there'd be a lot of queries out there. When I first started working in this field, um, more as a hobby, 20 years ago, I didn't know anything about it. But you know, you, you're forever learning, and it's just um, it's just a, the, the the old. If you can, the, the main reason I got into it, apart from you know to help with my own mental health, was. You get such a buzz when someone turns around and says, "You know what, Aussie? What what we spoke about last night, I implemented in my day, and mm. it just just helped." Yeah, you know, that, you just get a little buzz out of that. Mate, the the world's a better place because you fronted up and said, uh, "You know, um, I've got a got a got a problem here, but you know, now now what you're doing, geez, uh, you know, that's got the ability to be able to help many guys and women out there." One thing I wanted to ask you, where did 44 come from? Because you had 44 on your back in four clubs. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I grew up with my, my cousin. He was probably close, as close as a brother to me than a cousin. We used to go surfing everywhere. We'd go out together everywhere. And, and 
some reason, John would always use the number 44 in conversation. You know, you know hypothetically, he'd say, oh, not that again. I've seen that 44 times. <laughs> and he'd forever use 44. And then um, typical of when you're a first-year player, they, they give you a high number. So um, during yeah. the presentation, they asked Arthur Wilson, who was a football manager at the time at Fitzroy, said to me, oh, this is your number. <laughs> and I it was 44. And I, I just couldn't believe it. It was just so ironic. So, Jeez. you know, I've obviously had had the opportunity to um, get lower numbers, but no, I just thought, no, nah, I've got to keep this number. It's just meant to be. Stayed with you, mate. There's been many, many good players that have kept that throughout their journey. So uh, good on you for sticking to your guns, mate. That consistency uh, um, has been your trademark, I guess, at the end of the day. So that's, uh, that's yeah, good uh, work, mate. Well, like you said, it, it, there's, been some, there's been some beauties. Um, Justin Madden and Lepich and um, Johnny Platten, yeah. yeah, the list goes on. There's, there's heaps of them. Yeah, oh, absolutely, mate. I, I think uh, I'm not going to talk about my own journey, but I was a hopeless footballer. But I think uh, the clubs that I went to, um, I ended up like here's your jumper, and it was the same number every time. I never asked for it. <laughs> so <laughs> actually, I, I, yeah. I need to correct myself. I said Lepich, I meant to say Lappin, Nigel Lappin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The little fella. That, that's who I thought about when you actually mentioned. Uh, yeah, not not uh, not. Yeah, Lepich, uh, Lappin. That's it. Little little guy that played for Carlton. No, no, the uh, oh, Brisbane Lions. Brisbane Lions. Right, sorry, yep. yes, yeah. I there, think there, was, there was a lap in the Carlton as well. Yeah. I think I might have been cousins. Yeah, cousins from Albury Way, that's right. Mate, yeah, uh, that's really, right. really grateful for our conversation. Uh, you're, a, you're a legend for, uh, for making time to speak with me tonight, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have another one of these down the track, mate, because I think we've got lots in common and lots more to, uh, to, to, talk, uh, to talk about, which will help... Uh, Help guys out there, um, not only in the FIFO industry, but also um, in rural Australia and, you know, in general to be able to, you know, learn from your experience and knowledge and, and sort of where life's taken you. Uh, so I'm really grateful for your time. Yeah, no problem. Look, it is, it is such an important conversation. And like I said earlier, guys and girls, um, talk about it. You know, you'll be amazed what relief you'll get from just talking about it. You know, it's... We think it's this big monster that we've got no control of. But you know, once you identify what it is, uh, then, then you can just put a plan in place, and get some strategies to deal with it. And, uh, and talking about it's the um, first base, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. So, mate, uh, yeah, the world's a bit of a place because you fronted up and did that. And uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't. So, the opportunities and things that come out of uh, you know that first conversation uh, can be life changing. So. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, Aaron, and you're doing a wonderful job, mate. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah, good on you. Thank you. Cheers. Guys, thanks uh, very much for listening in. Uh, I think you will uh, agree that Richard's uh, had a great journey from such being, of being such a tremendous footballer, but to really come out the other end where he is, uh, you know, working obviously full-time, but to be able to, you know, open up about... His mental health um, journey, which would have been so challenging because uh, he sort of comes from that era where um, it was really taboo to talk about this sort of stuff. So big uh, big congratulations for that uh, to Richard, but also you know everyone else that can benefit from it and know that it's okay to, uh, to talk about this sort of stuff. So the more, uh, the more content we can get uh, on this podcast from people that have got lived experience, the better because it just helps us understand that... Uh, we are perfectly imperfect uh, and we can, you know, always do things within ourselves to change, to self-regulate and do things that actually help us uh, feel ourselves again. And that's our, that's our birthright to do that, to be able to be ha- happy, healthy and well at the end of the day. 
if you want to touch base, uh, email me, support outbackmind.com.au. Uh, lots of good uh, guests coming on this podcast uh, over the next few weeks again, so stay tuned. Appreciate your time, guys. Cheers.